Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Please do subscribe um, on your podcast RSS feeds and also sign up to our free newsletter on our website, the Journal of Biophilic Design. Com. We're really thrilled to be joined again by Glenn Kuska. Glenn is a writer, photographer, and has been lecturing on and coordinating the Master of Science and the Master of Veterinary Science programmes in One Health and Conservation Medicine at the University of Edinburgh. He's also a recipient of this year's USA Outstanding Commitment to Social Justice and Sustainability Award and the 2020 Social Responsibility and Sustainability Changemaker Awards in recognition of his work on sustainability across the university, including embedding of deep listening and sustainability into postgraduate training courses for healthcare professionals. Glenn, really many thanks for joining us again. Thank you, uh, Vanessa. It's it's a real pleasure to be back with you, and uh, I'm delighted to um, um, be sharing some some more of uh, of, of the work um, that. Um, I and my colleagues have been doing in the in the lead up to to COP26 that is actually going to be hosted this year in the UK in uh, in Scotland um, so just down the road in Glasgow. Fantastic well um, we spoke last year so and listeners can search for it on your podcast platform um, and also on the website the Journal of Biophilic Design. Uh, the title was uh, From Veterinary Science to a Wellbeing Biophilic Economy um, as you said, Glenn, today we're going to touch on COP23, COP26 even, I think. We're going to... <laughs> okay. There have been so many. I know, exactly. <laughs> we, still exactly. we still haven't sorted it, you know, there's going to be more. I was going to say, yeah, let's hope this is the last one and it's like all, all done and dusted. Um, but we're also going to talk about the official COP26 pilgrimage that, um, that you're organising and people can take part in. So um, as a kind of lead in, really, can you just remind people um, a little bit about what you do at Edinburgh University there, please? So thank you very much. I think in terms of my own journey um, into this, I've spent the last 15 or so years um, developing a, a, a passion for systems change. And um, the kind of things I care about are, are you know, things like animal welfare, sustainability, uh, nature conservation. You know, these are um, issues that I think are, are at the heart of um, the British public, but also you know many many other peoples around around the world, and that challenge us to you know really look at what we're um, how we're living our lives and what we're doing to the to the planet. And I think once you get drawn into that kind of work, there comes a point where you realise that the inner work that's needed to sustain us in order to um, work on change. Um, and um, be a be a good advocate for change without without burning out, um, you know, is is really really important. And I think one thing that I've I've come to realise is that so many of the challenges we face in the world come down to very simple things like like this idea of disconnection. So um, for me, you know, we're we're living in a in a in a, in a pandemic of disconnection, mm. and manifests itself um, in so many of the the crises that we see um, around the world you know there's a mental health crisis mm. there is obviously the the COVID-19 pandemic which is going to be one of just more um, emerging diseases and 
we have widespread um, poverty, widespread hunger issues. There's a lot of social um, justice concerns. We've seen as well the Me Too phenomenon, the Black Lives Matter phenomenon. All, all of these phenomena are, I think, related to our, our disconnects and our capacity to connect. And so my, my work at the university um, is, is very much centered around two holistic postgraduate training programs for healthcare professionals and looks at healing practices and, and, and practices that allow us to um, pursue healthier relationships and, and address a lot of these um, deeper concerns at a more um, at a deeper level. And a lot of this actually is you know, benefits from the development of deep listening as, as I think you, you touched on in your in your introduction there. Um, so there are there are some some professional competencies that you know I, I, I provide a lot of training in and seek to nurture in in in, in students um, with a with a view to equipping them um, you know to go out and and, and and tackle take on these you know these these big challenges which are so big that they require collaborative responses. So I think you know, I think it comes back. You know, we have to see ourselves as you know, as 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 players in a in a in a much bigger picture, mm-hmm. um, and um, understand the contribution that we're we're able to make. And um, I think uh, th- there comes a point where once we start to to actually see that, it becomes a little bit easier um, to to have confidence and hope again that, that that we can actually address the challenges that we face um because you know it's they have the potential to feel so overwhelming for so many people and uh you know again that's um you know that's part of you know this 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 global challenge that we that we're actually facing coming into cop 26 yeah absolutely um, I mean, obviously, that you you know the work that you're doing there. I mean, this is justified that you the awards you have won, you know, which is in recognition of the change you're making and and raising awareness. I mean, obviously, we just say COP26 is being hosted in Glasgow um, this year. I mean, for you, why is COP26 really important right now? And and I just thought in brief what Edinburgh University is sort of, is doing in conjunction with it. So, the the last. 50 plus years, I mean, going back to um, the, the work of people like Rachel Carson, the work um, that you know, alerted us to uh, concepts like the, the, the limits of growth um, have meant that the, the, the global community has been aware of the trajectory that we're on and the, the, the way that we are living, you know, as a, as a, as a product of, of our patterns of consumption, as a product of capitalism, as um, a product, you know, of, of the various processes that were put in place through the Industrial Revolution. We've been aware of it, you know, for 50 plus years. And the great mystery is why we haven't done anything about it, anything significant about it. So the COP um, conferences have sought to address um, these big challenges. So climate change being one of them, but I think it's important to see that there are there are related challenges. So the loss of biodiversity, the loss of our soils, 
the loss of our productivity of our lands, um, the emergence of new disease threats, so these, these pandemics, they are all related to you know, the, the various ways in which the human population you know, is living in connection with the ecosystem that sustains life. And, and you know, we only have one home. So when we talk about ecosystem, the, you know, the root, the etymology is, is about home. And um, these are therefore questions about our home economics, you know, the way we think about um, resources and um, share them and look after them the way we actually um, you know, under, understand our, our, our duty of care in order to sustain things and, and also our um, ability to think beyond the short term and to actually um, see ourselves as part of a longer time frame where we have responsibilities towards future generations. And I think one of the, one of the great things about this COP um conference is that we have multiple generations speaking out um, more eloquently more clearly than ever before so we have the fridays for futures movement we have the inspiration of, of greta and um all of those young people who see that their future is is in jeopardy we have we have the wise people who are at the end of their careers so, so the david attenboroughs the jane goodalls of this world who also see just how important um, COP26 is and all of the you know, all of the sort of parallel conversations that are asking those difficult questions about our future. Mm -hmm. um, this is the future of, the, of humanity, the future of the planet mm -hmm. and you know we have you know we no longer live in a small village we live in a global village mm -hmm. and um, that means that when conferences come together to talk about what we need to do as a global village, you know, we, we know that they are, they are taking on something really, really important. And um, we also get to see the various often selfish processes that undermine um, the efforts to look after the common good. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's big, it's big stuff. <laughs> um, but if, you know, if, if the young people of today get it, are capable of getting it, um, you know, I think um, there is a need for us all to, you know, to try and get it as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I see there's um, webinars and events taking place um, in with the Edinburgh University, they're sort of doing green career pathways, um, you know, and it's part of the COP26 universities network. I mean, can you sort of maybe explain, touch of, you know, on a few points um, that would be relevant to listeners, like in classrooms and teaching, for instance? I think when we look at what gives us cause for hope, it often comes down to education. Mm. And so I do want to emphasise just how important the work that school teachers do in their classrooms and that, you know, other further and higher education uh, institutions do to enable um, people to become change makers yeah. and when we look at for example the, the University of Edinburgh you know the, the reach of the of, of the university is, is 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 worldwide you know we have students coming from across the world to study on a on a number of programs 
and more and more of those programs are engaging with the sustainable development goals um, that you know we we are tasked with in this decade of change decade of action um, to deliver on so there is this um, need for us to, to 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 deliver on them by that target date of 2030 and this means that um, you know, a university is now a, a place for a global conversation. You know, my students come from a number of different continents. I have North American students, African students, um, Asian students. Um, and when we think that at Glasgow, the, 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 the presidency of the, um, of the convention will be passed to an African nation. Um, and we are therefore all called to, to, to to demonstrate you know leadership in, in our own capacities and, and and take forward these these issues and adapt them to our local situations and to our local needs and, and the complexities um, that exist in, in in different places whilst not losing sight of our interdependencies mm-hmm. and i think that's the you know that's the challenge is that you know we you know there's a long history um that that stretches back you know through through those colonial decades um, where there has been a lot of exploitation, there has been a lot of abuse of resources, and we've then moved into a a globalized economy where it's really hard to see the impact of our consumption practices. And and education is able to to bring that into view. So, you know, when we we buy an item of clothing, you know, we need to be aware of whether or not the um, employment practices are socially just, and similarly, when we're um, you know choosing what to put in our shopping baskets, you know, again, you know, there isn't enough transparency around the impact, the footprint of of the products that we actually buy, and I think education has a huge role to actually play in 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 shifting awareness and this is why i'm passionate about you know what i call awareness-based action research because awareness feeds global consciousness and i think once we start to resonate with ourselves you know with with others and with the planet you know the 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 baseline shifts you know we're operating from a very different place and 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 that's that's critical so we can we can do it in our classrooms and then we can take it outside of our classrooms and and uh, you know the, um, the the universities of the future will be will be much more living labs. You know where you know people are taking ideas directly out into their communities and applying them and trying to make sense of this and integrating values uh, into their work so that their work is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that's it's a huge challenge but it's it's something that um is also really exciting and, and that we don't have to be afraid of yeah absolutely as you say you know um education is key and creating platforms and and uh, uh courses and making it accessible for people to kind of um to learn to to find ways I, I love the phrase that you said obviously a decade of action that's such a positive statement and you said you know awareness um awareness what, what was the phrase you used you say awareness so, so a lot of my work is 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 rooted in awareness-based um, action research. So it's this idea that in 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 deepening our listening and deepening our awareness, we we come to operate at a deeper social field where we have a a, 
greater understanding of the whole, and that informs our action. So our action then produces different results, and we can learn from that. So we can integrate that learning into what we what we do, and it, it's a kind of fast cycle learning. Mm -hmm. um, but there's there is this emphasis on um, on deeper listening, which has which is informed by a number of different virtues. So one one would be humility, another would be empathy. Um, you know, we have to be able to um, to travel um, with others and listen you know, to ourselves, to others, and to the the, the wider system. Mm -hmm. And it's um, you know it's it, it's embedded in the you know the the, the courses that I've that I've developed um, and and that you know really enthuse um, you know many of the students who you know who encounter this 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 kind of approach. So. Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's, and I'm, you know, I'm not the only one doing it. And this is something that's been done all around the world, um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it does give me hope for the future. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, I think one of the key words there we used was empathy. And I also went ethics and doing the right thing. Um, I was banging on about that. So <laughs> I was banging on about that in LinkedIn, but anyway, <laughs> um, so sort of leading on from like the sort of education um, angle, uh, you've been writing in the lead up to uh, COP26. And again, I'll put the links in the podcast blurb and also on the website, journal of um, on design.com on the Teaching Matters blog um, at Edinburgh. Um, you've written COP26 is knocking on the doors of our classrooms and there's three parts to it. The first part, you look at how um, teachers can include projects and discussion points in their classrooms and spark debate, which is great as well if people are homeschooling as well and all this sort of thing. I think it's a really great thing to, there's the points you raised there to actually do with your friends, I think, over a drink. You know, I kind of, it was really some interesting um, uh, suggestions that you had there. Um, and in the second blog, um, you explore the need to bring in spiritual and ecological intelligence. Um, into this discussion, which we, we spoke about this slightly before um, we started recording. Um, but why are both um, sp the spiritual and the ecological intelligence aspects really important, especially at this time and, and as we approach uh, the COP? Yes, yeah, so I think the, 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 that three-part blog um, uh, sort of builds on, on an awareness that we need to be bringing sustainability into our teaching much more and it also recognizes that there are barriers to doing this mm -hmm. and the, the 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 second blog was was looking at the importance of um emotional intelligence and spiritual intelligence and i i i, I kind of use spiritual um as a as, as a word that can encompass um our interconnectedness so there is a there is a mysterious aspect to working with the invisible relationships we have so you know we particularly in the west we have this tendency to think of ourselves you know as bounded individuals and um and that there are then relationships that exist between individuals and and the the magic of um working on on on, on relationality is that there's something more mysterious going on between us you know there are there are there are flows of energy um, that um, are invisible to us um, and that will always surprise us and 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 I think there's there's a lovely line that that Thomas Huber uses where he 
He, he reminds us that the very best scientists are actually mystics because they, in their humility, they recognize that they can never see the whole system, the whole picture. And so they, they will always, um, you know, remain humble in, 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 in front of that, that mysterious element. And, and I guess for me, having done a lot of work with horses and having explored the mystery of finding resonance, you know, having one nervous system resonate with a nervous, another nervous system and having experienced what that quality of connection feels like. You know, I know that it's something that anybody who has experienced, you know, a deep connection can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet it, it is always really hard to, to put into words or to, to capture. And so, so the, I think the, the blog is emphasizing that when we're teaching, you know, there, there, there is factual material that we have to cover. But if we limit ourselves to knowledge transfer, and if we don't go into the deeper relevance of the, of, 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 of the, the factual material mm-hmm. to how we live our lives, uh, to our practices, um, you know, we, we're really limiting the potential of, of, of the educational experience. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what I'm arguing is that we hold open a space where people can do work that has an emotional charge and some of the key aspects here with regard to uh, environmental education so in you know education for um, for environmental um, change is that a lot of a lot of the the challenges we face around what we fear Mm -hmm. and so our relationship to to anxiety and to fear you know, it needs to come into our teaching. You know, we need to be able to hold spaces where it is possible to look at things that give rise to discomfort and mm-hmm. that um, we are we feel uncomfortable about. Fear is sometimes best seen as a just an indicator that we are leaning into uncertainty, that we're going into new territory. And if we aren't comfortable working with that anxiety and the fear that, that that can follow on from the anxiety if we if we're not able to to recognize that our sympathetic nervous system has been activated and that we can actually deactivate it calm come into a, a calmer space and actually start working with you know these difficult questions that have triggered the activation of our sympathetic nervous system you know if, if we're not able to kind of do that we are denying our students the possibility of exploring something difficult. Yeah. And that's why for me, emotional intelligence is important. And then once it, once we have these skills, you know, once we've developed these capacities, we're able to do work that is actually pretty, pretty impressive. You know, we're able to go into a more difficult conversation and suddenly that conversation actually opens up a field where, there are new possibilities and we're able to break new ground. Mm -hmm. And then we start to relate to ourselves differently, to others differently, and to the wider system, to, to nature, to the planet differently. And that's the spiritual aspect where we can start asking ourselves deeper questions about how we are related, you know, to our own bodies and, and through our bodies to others, you know, you know, my nervous system is connecting to your nervous system at the moment. 
and um, you know, although it's you know, although we're doing it digitally, you know, there is this possibility of an understanding to be achieved, and and for that, for the quality of that understanding to have more depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we think of our relationship to another person, to a group, to a team, perhaps to a community, or to a wider system where you know where we are widening our understanding of community to include the wider biotic community, you know, mm-hmm. all of life. Um, the same questions come up. You know, it's it's you know, what is my relationship to this wider system? And I think. Going back to fear, the reason that um, the reason that this is so difficult in education is that our sense of identity is egocentric, is is based on a on a on a sense of self that hasn't been explored in a in a safe space within our schools. Once our sense of self expands, we actually feel more comfortable um, talking about things that previously would have appeared to threaten our identity. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's that's where this emotional intelligence is so important and can open into um, the development of, of spiritual intelligence. And I think once once we understand that um, you know our, curr- our curriculum can accommodate you know. The, inter- the IQ, the EQ, and the SQ—you know—the intellectual development, that the emotional development, and that spiritual development—you know—we are better able to seek um, knowing, i.e., wisdom, in our students, and mm-hmm. and and that's that is the purpose of all of the um, wisdom traditions that have ever existed—is to actually um, facilitate that that um, that journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's, for me, creating these podcasts where I'm interviewing people and it's great, it's sparking the philosophical debate and just hearing from you. And I, you said, you know, the sort of biotic and the sort of the wider system and our connection to that. And obviously biophilia and sort of biophilic design is the sort of physical incarnate of that concept, if you want. You know, it's, it's how we, we have created a disconnect in our built environments um because we are living in plastic worlds and we're living in you know reflective surfaces and all this kind of thing but actually there's an inherent need this biophilia this love this need this understanding this recognition of life of living things and just as you mentioned nervous systems bio isn't bios isn't just about plants it's about animals it's about our connection to each other and how we relate to each other and we were having debate last night about you know the human element and how we've all got different packages or we've all got different um stories each day it changes we change each day so um trying to make ourselves be in 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 an environment which is um you know uh sort of sterile and and sort of the same for everybody it's it's not going you know like was last last night and um, nigel osland when he was launching his book he, he just said um you know that we're designing for um for the sort of imaginary mean that you know this imaginary average which no, there's nobody in that average we're all different and what you're saying there is about creating and sparking this debate about and it's really really important debate that we all consider um and particularly in education facilities so that people are coming through that system who are learning about science 
come out with that thought process that they can have that debate with other people and and have a recognition of that spiritual aspect as you say your definition of spiritual to have this unknown thing this un this unknown connection this unknown and and um when i was interviewing dame laura lee about um the cancer centers that they do you know the maggie's cancer care centers one of the things we were describing or she described about um about nature and about the sort of the beauty that they create actually in the space and she mentioned the word awe, and obviously we, we talk about that in in biophilic design but i think that's actually quite that that the word that we use as awe. you know when we're looking at a fantastic view it's that wow jaw dropping awe, that feeling inside and that whatever that conjures i think there's also that same um sort of philosophical words that you you know you use you could you know in in creating that connection with other people and in, in a in a time so I think it's amazing work that you're doing and this debate that you're sparking um, and you're encouraging um, to to discuss that that unknown yeah. connection there's, there's something what you've just said there about the role of awe um, and, a, and a good synonym for awe would be wonder yeah and every child I think has has that is born with that sense of wonder and it and it and it, it informs their curiosity and the way they engage with the world the way they relate with, to the world yeah. um and it brings them alive and and i think that aliveness is part of good health good well-being and it is fed by an engagement with the complexity that nature provides us with so you know we are born of nature you know nature has given rise to um every element of our, our you know our, our ourselves you know from the way um we move through our bodies the way we we think the way we engage um you know we are constantly in relation you know we, we are not independent from nature we're constantly in relation and when we find ourselves in a space that is i think use the word sterile mm -hmm. so many of those potentials that we carry are denied and it's like you know, when when you think of that then being multiplied, you know, within within a learning system, you know, if 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 the individuals are not being encouraged to learn, and by learn I mean to flourish, and we then see that happening in our organisations, you know, we don't have learning organisations, we don't have organisations that that flourish themselves as a you know as a collective, but flourish, you know, allow individuals to flourish. Um, so there's this idea of sterility is part of the industrial process, this industrial mindset, which is all about efficiencies and production lines and, 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 and is predicated on a, um, a really simplistic understanding of the meaning of life, of, of what we're here for. And, you know, we're not here to be productive. You know, it's, um, and, and it's reflected, I think, in, in our economies, because we, we, we value it in an economic sense so many of the wrong things. So, you know, the, the reason that there is a, a feminist movement is because the caregivers don't get paid. You know, it's like when you put it in those words, it's kind of it's mind blowing because you then realize, well, actually, there are kinds of work that we pay and then there are kinds of work that we devalue by refusing to pay for it and that's informed by our understanding of, of of what is productive and when that then crops up in a learning space and we say well 
you know, you're being taught stuff that will allow you to be productive and not taught stuff that will lead to you becoming a more caring person. We have got it completely wrong. And it's like, um, you know, there is a place for, you know, being productive. But I think we need to rethink our understanding of productivity so that more of those things that we know are valuable, but that don't show up in our spreadsheets and our accounting systems are valued. And this is why, you know, um, you know the, the work of the well-being um, economy, oh, I can not remember how, how it's called, so, you know, this idea of well-being economics. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's, we, we've got a number of people in Scotland who've really driven this, this idea and, and the importance of well-being to the economy, um, you know, needs to gain traction and, and is, is something that we need to engage with. But I'm always surprised that, you know, a lot of our students come in, come onto our programmes and they, they still haven't heard of this, this, this concept. Um, so there's you know there's a lot of work to do and it and it's it's it needs to be done in every sector so i think in that first part of the blog i emphasize that whatever discipline you work in we can engage with these issues these ways of thinking and we can work out what it is that our discipline or our field can contribute to a more sustainable way of living excellent um, in the third blog, um, in, in part of that series, you talk about fostering ecolog- ecological awareness. Um, and also it's the main focus for you right now with this COP26 pilgrimage. Can you tell us a little bit about the actual pilgrimage, um, maybe what the route is and, um, and also why it's significant? I think the route and the significance um, sort of overlap in different ways. Yeah. And um, in some respects, the route is symbolic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, as we know, with symbolism, you know, there's there's a deeper meaning. So um, obviously the end point is Glasgow, because that is where um, COP26 is being hosted. Um, the starting point very um, appropriately is John Muir's birthplace in Dunbar on the east coast of Scotland. And John Muir, you know, is one of the great um, visionaries who inspired the conservation movement by his life's work that helped develop consciousness uh, on the um, western seaboard of the US of you know some of these great um, unspoiled wildernesses and the need to protect them so you know he was somebody who articulated those questions of a care ethic very, very well. And along with people like Aldo Leopold, you know, who articulated the need for a land ethic, the need for us to connect to, you know, the, the soil that is part of our being, that, you know, that, that gives gives us our food, but that also, um, you know, is, um, when we think about it, what we, what we fundamentally are, you know, we are born of clay um, and, you know, brought to life through you know all of the other elements that um, that make up life, um, when we think about it, you know, and we've got these the start point and the end point. So we you know we're we're starting in the birthplace of John Muir, and then we are walking into greater awareness of the significance of 
COP26, um, what we ourselves have to offer, what we are called to, um, to contribute, to, to do by taking this journey step by step, we actually create a space for ourselves and hold a space for ourselves individually and collectively to start exploring the significance of life, of um, this moment, this um, these, these crises that, that, that we actually face, the way we ourselves are contributing to them. Um, and we also get to connect with whatever else is wanting to come up. So for some of us, it would be a deep sense of loss and grief at what we have done to the planet um, and the need for healing. For some of us, it will be about connecting with nature. And this is, this is one of my key contributions is that I'll be leading two of the early stages where we will be looking at certain biodiversity aspects um, in, an, in a very applied sense um, we'll be passing through um, the first local nature reserve to have been established um, in, in Scotland, which is a, a great place to visit um, in the autumn because it receives, it is hospitable to, i.e. it receives um, tens of thousands of migrating geese uh, who come uh, to overwinter there. And, you know, there, there are so many other um, winter visitors and, and, and it's a, just a great way to understand how nature receives and provides. So we'll be seeing the sea buckthorn in all its glory with, with those, those um, orange berries you know, starting to ripen and, and all the thrushes arriving to feed on, on those berries. And, and that, that crop will actually sustain them through, through much of the winter. So it, it, it is a, this is a really important resource, as is the are the, as are the mudflats, um, in you know that that, that are along the the, the, the fourth estuary. Um, so we'll be exploring all of these different elements and the significance that they have for life, and the ways that our own choices, our own behaviours, have impacted that. So that whole area stretching across the um, the central belt of Scotland with its industrial past, its mm. history of, um, of mining and the extent to which it has polluted all of those waterways, all of those ecosystems is something that we will be, be encountering as we, as we move along. And it will challenge us to really connect with you know those 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 difficult choices that our ancestors have made, the legacy that has left us with, and the choices that we have today when we think about you know what sort of um, society we're you know we're wanting to to bring into mm. into being. Um, so these are these are big questions, um, but they also play out at the level of the of the individual, um, mm. and you know for us that would be something as simple as you know, what do we choose to eat on our on our way? Mm. Uh, what sort of conversations do we want to have? What do we pay attention to? Mm. I think it's going to be a, a beautiful uh, experience for people on it and also a challenging one, which it should be. <laughs> um, 
can you, I mean, so you've, you've touched on your involvement and you're leading the two, um, two stages and obviously with your background in veterinary science and obviously your complete, you know, vast knowledge of nature and, and sort of like migratory systems and all this kind of stuff as well. Um, I mean, you're not new to ecological pilgrimages. I mean, you've recently published um, a book, The Way of St Cuthbert, um, which focuses on one of Scotland's oldest pilgrimage routes and um, running from Melrose to the Scottish borders to, to Lindisfarne. And uh, I've got to say right now, I would love to come and photograph and film up there at some stage. So we'll have to make this happen. Okay, when when all this, when we can move around much freer and stuff, I would absolutely, that would be just beautiful to kind of film, you know, maybe a couple of stages so you can kind of show us, you know, the significant points. Um, but um, I mean, can you sort of, can you explain why for you, I mean, a pilgrimages are significant um, but also why they're significant for yourself, particularly the ecological side. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a really good question, and I I'm not, I'm not even sure where to start actually because there's so many ways in here. Um, I'm torn whether to start with Saint Cuthbert, um, and maybe that would be a good place to start. So so I'll 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 sort of take a random roll of the dice and go with Saint Cuthbert. So um, I have to say I, I I never thought of myself as being um, in any way religious, but I, I have discovered that I do appreciate connection. And uh, um, that's the paradox is that, you know, when I look back to my childhood, I was always connected to the natural world. So I had this spiritual aspect um, that is born of, of curiosity. And um, I think when you're curious about the natural world, uh, you have encounters and you, you have experiences that, that come to be deeply meaningful. And a lot of that is actually about stripping things back and being really simple and and just immersing yourself into place and allowing yourself to be surprised and one of the great things about um saint cuthbert was that um as a um as an individual i think he had remarkable abilities to just to be very simple and to care and you know he demonstrated that in in the way he cared for um, the communities in whose service he was you know, he he found himself the ways he cared about nature and um, in his later life when he was when he when he was living on on Lindisfarne and then and then subsequently on Innerfarne, um, you know he he went to great um, uh, measures to actually protect the local wildlife and to to demonstrate a, um, a deep respect for the wildlife and I think this is why you know Innerfarne is, is such a, a special place today so it's a, a national trust reserve where there are some there's, there's some incredible wildlife that, that you can see when you when you visit and this deep sense of calmness and peace and there is this connection between our inner calm and the peace that we find in nature, um, which um, I guess, I guess for somebody like like Saint Cuthbert, he would probably have been understanding through through a particular lens. So he would have interpreted it as being in communion with his with his God. But the essence is actually it's just in communion. You, it doesn't matter what you're actually in communion with. I think when we when we feel deeply connected 
we're having a, a spiritual experience and you know I, I don't feel the need to actually explore beyond that but what i do feel a need to do is to share that with people so that they they can realize that when they have um a need to find that calmness in their life and it could be um that they've had a difficult week at work or that they've just they're living through a uh, a trauma traumatic episode you know you know it's something that's part of life you know we experience traumas and uh, um we're not necessarily very adept at doing that healing work that allows us to integrate the trauma and heal ourselves mm -hmm. and a pilgrimage really gives us that possibility because it allows us to slow down it allows us to connect so literally leaving all of the busyness behind, carrying only what you can carry on your own back comfortably and walking into a, a sense of yourself, a sense of place, sense of purpose, um, allows us to find that, 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 that calmness. And one of the many things I, I really appreciate about the route between Melrose and Lindisfarne is that it, it allows so many connections to place to, to sort of enrich us. And there's a, you know, the, 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 the sort of crossing of the Eildon Hills, the, 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 that, that first encounter with the River Tweed. And I was, I was out camping beside the river a few, um, a few weeks ago and um, I'd, I'd arrived actually in the darkness and um, had to be a little bit careful trying to find a campsite and I just happened to stumble across an otter and the otter <laughs> was there on the bank and we just had this moment where we kind of um, watched each, each other before the otter dived back into the river and uh, um, it's you know I I think if you're a, if you're a religious person, you might describe that as a as, as a moment of grace. But I think I think for me, it's a moment of just being surprised by what the world has to offer you, and uh, and it was just a, a beautiful moment. Um, but there are so many that you know, it's, it's like a string of pearls. There are so many other beautiful moments that um, you then encounter as you as you carry on, you know, in a you know when you're walking with that kind of. Um, um, ethos that kind of idea and arriving then on the on the northumberland coast the the the, the old pilgrimage route crosses the the tidal mud and it's amazing to take your shoes off and actually allow your feet and we've got so many nerve receptors in our feet just allow our feet to make connection with the world to actually enjoy crossing that oozy mud as we walk and it's you know it's a you know it's, it's a few hours crossing just to get to the just to get to the island and and I, I actually did it um and it was very misty at the time and there were there was quite a lot of bird life around and then I this is the last time I did it and, I, and, and then there's this moment where I just started hearing a distant howling and it it sounded like a pack of dogs and because the mist was quite thick um I was I was quite confounded as to what was going on. And then I gradually realized that out on the on the, the mudflats, probably maybe as far as a 
500, 600 meters away from me was a great group of about 50 gray seals and they'd all started howling. Uh, and it, again, it was just one of those magical moments um, where, you know, they were on the mud flats kind of enjoying the mud. I was there enjoying the mud. Um, and um, I was just open to what life has to offer and, and, ha and had that deep sense of inner peace. It was, it was quite, quite remarkable. Um, and so you come away from something like that, whether that be at the end of each day or at the end of the journey, um, with something that you can then take back you know, to your day-to-day -day life. Um, and the great thing is that you can, you, know, you can, so that, that I actually did over, so I've done that on, a, on my bike, for example, over, over, over three days, but I've done it, you know, over longer periods of time walking. Um, but it's something you can do in a half hour walk. I think when, when we allow ourselves to engage in that way, a pilgrimage can be something very short, or it can be something much more sustained where we take a question or concern and just walk with it. And uh, as I've mentioned earlier, one of my one of the things I'm, I, I care a lot about is you know is our is, is our is our mental health because it's it's really important. You know, we we face so much anxiety that it's um, and, so, and so much uncertainty that we are experiencing a, a mental health pandemic and um, and not talking about it enough. Um, so this coming Sunday is World World Health Mental Health Awareness Day. Um, and, you know, as a veterinary professional, I know just how much mental health issues have, have affected, um, you know, my colleagues and how difficult it is for us to talk about that mm. in a really open way that actually um, addresses the taboos and the, the stigma that, mm. um, you know, mental health carries with it um, and recognize actually that you know all of the traumas that actually need to be integrated and you know we need to become aware of them rather than deny them we need to we need to start integrating them into our healing and um, something I'm working on at the moment at the, at the vet school is this idea of building a labyrinth on on the campus that would allow people to walk into a sense of calmness with a concern and it could be that it's just the concern that's cropped up in the course of our day-to-day, -day, you know, the day-to-day -day work. Um, but it also could be something that we are much more troubled with such as the loss of a, a colleague um, mm -hmm. to, to something like suicide because it's, it, is a, it is a very real concern. The pilgrimage though, understood as a walking with something offers us that that opportunity to um, to reconnect with ourselves and to heal mm -hmm. and I, I love you, know, you, you, you mentioned the labyrinth um, the concept of the labyrinth and to walk through things again in biophilic design there's this thing of mystery and you know um, looking at things and, and sort of trying to walk through things because it, there's also something within us. And you mentioned as well, walking across the, um, you know, on the mud flats mm. and you hear this howling and what is that? And, and it's like, well, you know, we need that. We need that sort of like fear, like you said earlier, you know, create the fear and challenge and, and then the resolution. So mm. um, 
and and having time out and having space you know the whole concept of pilgrimage there's all these different elements which you're saying i mean this to do that sort of thing it's actually a connection with nature but i would actually argue that we you know wouldn't it wouldn't it be lovely if we could create those havens or those moments or enable those moments to happen in the workplace in universities in that kind of thing as there's, well there's something there you in, in what you've just said that's just sparked something for me so you said connecting with nature i think it's important for us to realize that we can connect with our nature and one of the disconnects we need to heal is the disconnect between our heads because unfortunately we're as a species we've become so intelligent that we spend most of our time in our heads and we don't connect our bodies but through our bodies we can connect to our nature and to nature um, and and this is why you know there's there's this constant um concern being expressed about you know our, our misconception of ourselves as being apart from nature so we talk about nature culture as if it's a divide mm -hmm. we are part of nature and nature sustains us and and and, and in, in much deeper ways than we realize and i guess um you know it's it, it's important that we we see that we can we can come into a sense of reconnection and i think you talked there about um about resolution about um you know making whole again yeah. and so these are all these are all um, synonyms for um uh finding a an inner peace mm -hmm. um and when i say an inner peace it's this idea that it's peace e-a-c-e but also one piece p-i-e-c-e because we are allowing ourselves to come back into a a sense of wholeness mm -hmm. and neurologically i think um you, you know you touched on it there when you said the howling you know mm -hmm. gives rise to a sense of fear a natural way of being is for the fear to arise and then to subside and if as a species we are constantly in, a, in an activated state of anxiety we don't have that subsiding where we move from having our sympathetic nervous systems activated into this deactivation and this calmness where our, our our ventral vagal nerve is you know is, is active and we are able to we are better able to engage and it's and so engagement again it's a form of connection yeah. and yeah. when we're in that state so when we when we are in that calmer state the, the work we can do has a completely different quality to it and, and and it goes back to what i was saying you know the work we need to do in the world is collaborative yeah so we therefore need to be able to socially engage and we therefore need to find ways of of finding that calmness and it will almost always be through you know some form of loving connection with with our nature and with nature absolutely um I mean, what do you think is going to be the main or what you hope would be the main outcome of the uh the cop 26 pilgrimage <laughs> um, i mean on so many levels not isn't there really but i mean uh, you, you're asking me to share a wish list Go on, yeah, go on. <laughs> um i guess if i was being completely ambitious i would ask everybody to come to cop in some way and to see that this is part of themselves so this is not something that's happening you know 
in a distant place where uh, you know these great leaders are making decisions on behalf of all of us this is something that we are each contributing to in some way again it's a, it's an issue of connection mm -hmm. so if we don't connect to how these issues show up in our own lives in our own communities we are not connecting with the issue so i think that would be my top wish really um i think the other thing i would ask for is that our ways of valuing are radically revised so the things that we value, the things that we therefore fund and our financial systems place a value on the on, on, on things that are that are actually traumatizing and deeply harmful to the health of the planet. So, you know, a challenge I would I would throw out to anybody is to look at what their pension companies invest in and to become aware of what we are funding and when we actually look at the the financial markets and the way credit is made available to invest in certain things those are choices that you know as a as a, as a global community you know we are sanctioning and it is therefore really important for us to exercise you know our agency in making clear what we do want to have invested in and why. And I think, I think that's, that, that shift in our, in our financial systems, in our, in our local, national and international economies, you know, will be, will be able to um, deliver some, some really important change. And I guess because we're allowed three wishes, so I'm, I'm assuming I'm allowed three wishes, my third wish would be that we create a, an international law of ecocide. So there, there is clearly, in the same way that we are now aware of genocidal acts, there are ecocidal acts and they need to be recognized as crimes against humanity mm -hmm. and therefore crimes against the planet or the other way around. Mm -hmm. Crimes against humanity, uh, against the planet and therefore crimes against humanity. And once we are once we are more aware once we have a greater consciousness of these the, these um, these harms and these injustices i think um, the system you know will will, will, will experience uh, will we'll come to a tipping point you know, we only need a certain critical mass in order for the the, the baseline to actually shift and you know that's that's why everybody is you know is invited to engage with this that's really nice i'm actually that's you know that's my magic brush of biophilia question <laughs> um and um but i mean i just 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 to sort of kind of round up really um i mean if people want to find out about the route and maybe take part um can they take part still or or maybe can they follow the route online if they're somewhere else so I think you can take part wherever you are in the world in, in that you can probably do your own journey mm -hmm. and, and, and um, 
since since I've been looking at this, I've had a lot of people tell me about different pilgrimages that are have been resurrected in different parts of the world. So somebody the other day would tell me about the St. David's pilgrimage in, in, in Pembrokeshire in, in Southwest Wales. Um, I was up in Orkney earlier this year and was, was, was learning about the St. Magnus pilgrimage. Um, everybody has probably heard of, of Santiago that, that, that goes um, across Europe to Santiago in, 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 in Northwest Spain um, and, and is, is, is intimately uh, associated with St. James or as the French would say, Saint-Jacques. So it's um, James and Jacques are, um, are used interchangeably there. So there are pilgrimages everywhere. And if you haven't got one immediately to hand, you can, you can probably enjoy creating one and, and, and giving it some significance. Um, if you want to find out about the specific route of the, of the COP26 pilgrimage, you know, there, there's a web link um, that you know, we, can, we can provide. And um, people are obviously in, you know, very welcome to come along for individual days. Um, uh, or indeed for the for the for the whole the whole experience, um, and um, yeah, I mean the the more the merrier. With the with the caveat that we need to think about our foot, we always need to think about our footprints. So we will need to think about you know our our impact on communities and on the places through which we pass. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. <laughs>